disruption zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off-the-wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. Uh, interesting conversation today, as you know, in the news uh, of late. Uh, one of the vaccines, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, has been paused temporarily uh, due to some cases of dangerous blood clotting. Six or seven people, they're not quite sure exactly how many, um, all women, uh, or I believe most of them women, in between the ages of like 30 and 45, something like that. So younger women um, with dangerous blood clotting. There's been a couple deaths associated with it. But I want you to keep in mind that this is six to seven people out of about 6.8 million doses. So you literally have a better chance of being struck by lightning today than you do of taking this vaccine and dying from a blood clot. Now, this to me is exactly, though, even if it's a small risk, even if it's a tiny risk, it proves my point that we don't know everything about these vaccines. We don't know everything about how these vaccines are affecting our bodies. This is brand new technology. It has been rushed to market. I think bringing it to market this quick has been a miracle of science and a miracle of the free market. I truly believe that. Uh, that being said, because it's, a, it's so fast, because we don't know everything, because this story proves we don't know everything, you should have a right to choose whether or not you want to take it or not. You should have the right, no matter how small the risk is, to make the choice about that risk. So we're going to have this conversation with a healthcare. Uh, expert and a friend of mine, Paul Siegert from PCS Advisors. Um, we're going to talk to him about two big things. Number one, this vaccine, how it actually works, uh, and this sort of pause and why that's being done, whether you should be concerned about it. But then we're also going to talk about healthcare itself because I think we have a fix for our breaking system. And it's not healthcare that's the problem, it's access or it's cost of healthcare that is a problem. And we're going to break this down with some free market solutions. So I'm excited about this conversation. Check it out when we continue. Right now, though, I want to thank our sponsor, uh, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They're so awesome. Uh, I can say this because I have worked with them as customer. I've been a customer of theirs multiple times, actually twice. Uh, I, uh, I had them do my kitchen, and I had them do my master bathroom. And both times I was supremely satisfied with the work. I enjoyed the work ethic and the commitment to quality and craftsmanship that I saw from Tim Montgomery and his crew. Uh, you will not be sorry. If you're looking at remodeling your kitchen, you will not be sorry uh, at what you're going to get out of Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. If you are a uh, person that just wants to do a turnkey remodel, you just want to hand them the work and say, this is what I want. Work with their designers, George, Kelly, and Michelle. Set up what you want. Have them walk away and have them do it all. That's cool. If you're a contractor or a do-it-yourselfer who already knows what you want, they have affordable quality cabinets in stock ready for you right now. Whatever type of counter surface you're looking for, they've got it. Check them out at 6200 Hit Lane or go to LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com or give them a call at 502-930-3304. And uh, hey, if you want to call them and say, hey, I'm not ready for my kitchen yet, but I want to thank you for sponsoring the, the uh, Disruption Zone, that's awesome too. But if you're ready to go, don't put it off anymore. Look, interest rates are super low right now. Get a home equity loan uh, and build that kitchen of your dreams. Or maybe it's time to flip that house. Get that kitchen ready. It'll sell faster, I think. I, I believe that the work they did on our kitchen actually made our house a much quicker sell. Uh, it was a beautiful home, but the kitchen just made it sort of the full thing. And 
Uh, it sold in less than a day. So I attribute part of that to the beauty that was established by the kitchen being taken care of. So check them out again, LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com or 502-930-3304. All right, here's our conversation with Paul Seeger, health care expert from PCS Advisors. Uh, welcome back, Paul. Good to talk to you again, sir. How are you? Great. Thanks for having me. Um, so big story yesterday in the media, um, or by the time people were listening to this a few days ago. <laughs> yep. Um, from the uh, the news that the J&J, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, this is the one-dose vaccine, has uh, the U.S. government has recommended a pause um, in administration of that dose because of potentially dangerous blood clots. Now, let's put all this in perspective. We have 6.8 million doses of the right. vaccine that have been administered in the United States. Out of those, we know of six or seven cases of dangerous blood clots. There's been a couple deaths. Um, we don't know if it's associated with the vaccine, although it does seem pretty coincidental that, you know, the two are that close together. Uh, a couple of these folks were people that were healthy, didn't have history of that. So it is a concern, but it's a it's it's a small concern. I mean, honestly, I have a better chance of being involved in a car accident today than than if I were to take that vaccine and get blood clots. But nonetheless, they have put a pause on it. Um, let's start with why, what's going on here. Let's start with what they're doing, like so people understand why there's a pause put on it. Well, you're right. It is very, it's a very small percentage of likelihood. You're twice as likely to be struck by lightning today as to have one of these inc- these blood clotting incidents. Uh, but they're putting it on pause. What they're saying is that it's out of an abundance of caution. And if you look at just what's going on here in the U.S., it would seem like an over, maybe even an overabundance of caution. Uh, and then there's a couple points out of that I think that are interesting. One is trials aren't going to pick up everything, especially something that occurs one in a million when you only have 44,000 that are in a trial like was done here. The other thing that comes to mind is the fact that in Europe, there's two of these viral vector vaccines, J&Js, and then AstraZeneca's. They're built in the same way. And the AstraZeneca uh, vaccine was in use in Europe with far more many far more people many more people and they've had similar events there uh, 86 as of March 22nd I saw a tally there that they'd had 86 such events okay. and they do seem to favor uh, women ages in younger women 18 to 48 were all the cases here in the US and it seemed to be also be the case uh, in Europe or in the UK related countries that it was it was ladies mostly so one of the things i'm hearing about all of the vaccines the other ones the two dose ones is that um the big the big reaction comes after the second shot and that the younger and healthier you are the harder that reaction is is it possible that there's something going on here where this is this is new technology the mrna and i know the johnson and johnson is a little bit different um it may be using the same technology but this this mrna technology where it's sort of puts our uh, our our immune system into overdrive and it kind of makes sense that if it goes into overdrive that healthier people who have a strong immune system might have a mm-hmm. more negative reaction to this is that kind of what we're seeing across the board a little bit yeah that's definitely a possibility but when you ask the the, the real experts medical experts about it they say they and if they're being totally honest they say they're really not sure what's going on Mm. Uh, they don't know. Is it an additive in the in the vaccine? Is it you know they're they're really not sure. 
And that's why they've, they've put this on pause to try and determine what's going on. Are these things linked? I, w- I would say when you put the, the U.S. events and the events in Europe together and you see that there's, you know, close to 100 of these events, then likely it is. And I think they did determine in, the, in Europe, the EMA, their equivalent of the FDA, did conclude that they are linked and they added it as a risk, you know, in the, in the labeling, essentially, that in very rare cases, there right. could be a blood clotting event. So they've now changed some of their recommendations going forward on who should receive this style, this viral vector vaccine style of vaccine. And in the UK, if you're under 30, they're not recommending it, mm-hmm. and which kind of is in line with what you're pointing out there. And then in Canada, if you're under 55, they're not recommending it. So likely in a matter of days or maybe a couple few weeks, I would guess this vaccine will be back in use or kind of you know approved again right and then but maybe there'll be some restrictions on who it's it's better suited to that is all indicative of a work in progress what is let's make mm-hmm. sure we understand what a what is a viral vector vaccine and and we have the one dose and the two dose are they essentially using the same technology just in different ways they are all mrna yeah they're different um and the, the viral vector vaccine, you know, the old-fashioned vaccines were, were the fast, like mumps, was the fastest that we'd ever created a vaccine before it was four years. And that's a deadened or a weakened version of the actual virus. Mm-hmm. And now what we've done in this case with these viral vector vaccines is to take genes that create the spike protein out of COVID-19. And the spike protein is what triggers the immune system right. to make the antibodies. So they take these genes and they splice them into a an innocuous virus, just a harmless type virus like the common cold virus. Right. And they splice them in there. Then they inject this into you when you get the vaccine and it goes into healthy cells and it basically starts producing these spike proteins. Right. So it tells your body to make the spike proteins and send them out into your body and that generates the immune response. And for whatever reason that they don't really know for sure in a very small number of people, it's causing this uh, blood clotting effect so and it, low platelets. So it's like, it's like virus catfishing. It's like, it's like uh, it's, it's faking your body into thinking that it has a virus that it doesn't and then reacting right. accordingly. Yep, um, exactly. Which in some ways seems almost safer um, and yet it's brand new technology and we're not quite sure how our body might react to maybe a synthetic virus. I mean, in a way it's like a synthetic virus. It's not mm-hmm. really a virus, but it kind of is. And our body reacts to it as such. Um, right. and it, it may explain why some people are having, you know, there were, there's been a few unexplained deaths that have occurred. I mean, again, and I want to make this very clear. I'm not anti-vaccine. I never have been. Um, I, I am very much anti-forcing people to take something. And I'll get to that in a minute. But in in terms of this vaccine, even with this pause, I still think that it's probably and I I would just leave that little room of probably it's probably a uh, it's probably a wonder and a miracle of modern science and free markets. You know, government getting out of the way, letting science do its job, letting big companies that that have the infrastructure in place do their job, come together in a free market situation and and build something that the world needs. Yep. Do you, do you still feel that way as well about the vaccine? I do. Yeah. I, I, absolutely. I mean, it's this is one of the most amazing things in terms of healthcare that we we've did accomplished this in less than and a even year. beyond healthcare. 
We yeah. did this in less than a year. Yeah, it's incredible. And it shows the power. I mean, uh, and the fact that most of this innovation does happen right here. What, right. <laughs> how amazing, you know, and we did assist in funding it by pre-buying. Uh, so there was really that Operation Warp Speed has been was a big success. Right. Um, pol- politics aside, it was a big success. There's yeah. no questioning that. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was interesting. I don't think a lot of people understand how Operation Warp Speed actually works because the media is not telling them. It actually right. it actually paid for the vi- vaccine before the vaccine was produced, so that yeah. those companies had money to help produce the vaccine. I mean, it yeah. Was, and then it, when they came really, back later and they were criticizing, why didn't you buy more of this one or that one? And perhaps some of the criticism was justified. On the other hand, maybe it made sense to hedge your bets because you didn't know, they didn't know right. if all of them would even work. <laughs> that's so like, they took a big chance. That's like saying, why didn't you buy six dozen eggs from this from this uh, this chicken? Well, they haven't hatched yet. I'm just paying the farmer for the first dozen. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's exactly right. So, and in the end, we have way more than we need. If you look at the doses on hand, for the U.S., Canada, Europe, it's like four to six times more pre-purchased doses than our populations. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see what we do with that. Probably something good and share it with other areas where they don't have um, the ability to purchase them as easily. So how long does the inoculation last? That's a great question. I think uh, there's – and it kind of gets to, to me a bigger issue of – of honest messaging yeah. that we've we've had a, a issue with, I would say is a nice way to put it. Yeah, uh, you know because the fact is, it's likely that it lasts a long time, uh, or it's it's certainly very possible that it lasts a long time. Right. But the kind of the message that seem it seems that lots of folks in the media want to put out is that is is opposite of that or puts that in serious question. Yeah. Same thing with the whole idea of herd immunity. You can get to herd immunity with any disease in more than one way. You can get it. People get immunity from infection itself, from getting the disease and recovering, and then they get it from vaccination. And it's a combination of those two things that lead to this herd immunity. And when we look at uh, COVID and this pandemic, less than 1% of people who get it, get it again. Yeah. And I just looked at a study yesterday that was describing how people that have gotten COVID have an antibody, when they test them, they've got antibodies in their system and a protection level that is almost as good as the the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines and better than the J&J. So they have a really pretty high level of protection now in the future. And as long as as they've been studying this, which is as long as it's been around, uh, they keep confirming that, yep, they still have protection. Yep, they still have protection. Yep, they still have protection. And when you go over, and there's studies that have been done in Italy, which was one of the earliest, hardest hit places, and it's still true there. They still have protection, and it was less than 1% of them are getting reinfected. So I think we're, I still, if there's one thing I'm pretty critical about is that I know bad news sells better than good news, yeah. but there's reason to be optimistic. Right. The CDC themselves said in a recent study that they did that eight times more uh, people have likely had COVID. And this study that they did is one of many, and it was one of the most conservative. Other studies put this multiplier at a much higher number. But let's assume the most conservative estimates that the CDC put out there, that eight times the number of people who have been confirmed with COVID had asymptomatic COVID. And we are over 30 million. Let's just call it 30 for easy math that have confirmed, we've confirmed have had COVID. 
times that by eight, that's 240 plus 30 is 270. And that was the first threshold, the first set of goalposts that um, were given to the American people as herd immunity. Yeah, well, that would indicate we're already getting there. Yeah, you, you've just confirmed a theory that I have if, if what that CDC study says it bears out. Because my theory, like I, I work in, around people in a training business, uh, firearms yep. training. And because it was an essential business, it never waned. So throughout the entire pandemic, I have been around people in a speaking role. Yep. Um, of all people that would have been exposed to it, it's me. And I never knew that I had it. Now, I bet right. if I went and got tested, they would probably say I have the antibodies. Um, yep. I've been taking the vitamin D and the zinc and also quercetin combined because when I researched this, quercetin kind of helps that D and that zinc kind of get into your cells. It, it that mm -hmm. You know, you kind of need that combination of those three. And I've been taking those throughout the course of the pandemic regularly. Um, yep. Already eat a healthy diet, a lot of exercise, go outside. And my, my theory is that there's there's basically people who have had it and know they had it. There's people who had it and don't know they had it. And there's yep. people who were exposed to it and their body just fought it off. And that we've probably reached that tipping point now, not not diminishing the virus because it's or the vaccine because it's still important to have it. But I think we've reached that tipping point now where, yeah, there's still cases out there. But if you look at most people are like, eh, it's time to go on with my life because, you know, we're sort of adjusting to it now, which is what right. tends to happen in pandemics. Yeah. And, and it's, I, mean, I think it's even appropriate, it, but you see these talking heads on the media saying that one in four Americans are still vaccine hesitant. Uh, and they've been working hard on messaging to convince people to get the vaccine. And, and it was as high as 40%. And now let's say that they're correct. It's a one in four. And they're, and if you listen to so many of these experts, they're saying that that's going to threaten our ability to get to herd immunity. That's dumb. Which it's really not. I mean, I don't want to, I'm not trying to discourage people from taking the vaccine, but I'm just saying that uh, the evidence shows that you're going to get immunity from having it or from getting the vaccine. Right. So we're going to get there. And, and it, the numbers would suggest we're, we're honing in on it now yeah. and, and maybe in the early phases of it and maybe even well into it. Well, and it's it's dumb to say that if 75% of Americans go get vaccinated that we won't somehow be at herd immunity. That's stupid. I mean, right. and to your point about messaging, when we have Dr. Fauci running around saying and I, and I thought Rand Paul was was dead on when he confronted him on mm -hmm. this, um when he's saying, you know, you need to still wear two masks, social distance and not gather <laughs> after you've had the vaccine and and Rand's like, "Dude, I had COVID. What what the hell are you talking about?" And and right. and he's like, "If you want people to not be hesitant, why tell them that nothing's going to change afterwards? So here we have, you're going to get right. super sick, especially if you're young and healthy for a couple days. That's going to suck. And yep. nothing actually gets to change. Right. There's your hesitancy. And really, as a young person who's young and healthy, what's the know, risk a lot of anyway? Those people are thinking, hey, yeah. I'm, what's the risk anyway? I'm really right. doing this to benefit the greater good. I don't really need it. Right. I'm not in a high risk factor. And uh, another issue I think we have with messaging that's been interesting to watch, when you look at countries around the world that are much um, poorer than us, frankly, and tend to then eat healthier diets, uh, they're not having the, the deaths that we've had. Right. And I guess it's you know not politically correct to talk about all that, but 78% uh, or some very high percentage of those that have been hospitalized for, hospitalized for COVID were severely overweight or yeah. obese. 
And that is a problem we need to address. I mean, in my greater, my daily life of working on the cost of healthcare, that's really the biggest threat we face Mm -hmm. to our system. And this is just an example of how, how it affects us from a a cost standpoint. And just, it's a serious problem and it seems like we're not willing to talk about it. I'm really glad you brought that up because, um, you know, I've been a disciple of, of uh, Mark Sisson, Mark's Daily Apple, for about four years. Um, about five years ago, I had a, a health incident with early onset hereditary high blood pressure to the point that I almost had a stroke. I was mm. hospitalized for a couple days. And when I went into the hospital, they told me I had to take the uh, old man dash diet. You know, I could never have any salt ever again. <laughs> and um, it scared me because, I mean, I was hospitalized. I literally was hospitalized, sure. so it scared the crap out of me. So I, I did exactly what they told me to do. And uh, a couple months later, I went in for a checkup, and the doctor was like, dude, you have dangerously low sodium levels. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you need to eat more salt. And I'm like, wait, they told me. And so that at that point, I realized, wait, something is off in the medical system because – you know, and so I started doing some research, came across the kind of the low carb approach, the whole food diet approach and yep. fell into that and literally fixed everything. Like literally I was told you got to deal with this forever. And I, and I was able to right. fix all of that stuff. And so I've been a huge, and I was listening to Mark Sisson on, um, uh, Joe Rogan's podcast the other day. And he made a comment. I thought it was really powerful. He said, listen, this is This is the worst managed crisis in the history of humankind. And what he meant, he was really talking about exactly what you said about the messaging. The messaging has been all wrong. And maybe not from, maybe these people are good-hearted and they want to achieve the right thing, but even Dr. Fauci himself has admitted that he thinks we're so stupid that he has to manipulate us to do that good thing. Right. And it's like, we we have com- our, our health experts have completely missed the boat because, to your point, in countries where their, their health, health lifestyle has been different, they have not been as badly damaged by this as we have. This this virus is almost tailor-made for the American couch potato society. It's kind of terrifying. Yeah, well, without a doubt. I mean, when we look at health plans and see what's driving the cost inside those health plans, it's chronic diseases that are lifestyle. Yeah. yeah, they're lifestyle diseases. Yeah. Let's kind of segue that in if you've got a couple minutes here to sure. a little bit on the healthcare side because I, I know I'll kind of bring it back to the vaccine in just a minute. But I, I think you bring up a super important thing that we need to be talking about more and more. Um, and that is, you know, we have we have we don't have a healthcare problem in America, we have a healthcare cost problem in America. That's right. We it's have a big difference. Yeah, we have the best healthcare system in the world. It's why Canadians come down here because they can't get help from their government. That's right. And, That's right. and people often overlook that and they come in with these solutions. They say, well, we should do it like Canada because everybody has it for free. And I'm like, yeah, but what they have is crap, you know, and nobody ever yeah, wants they to, have admit to wait that. in line. Yeah. There's different ways to ration it price or line. We're choosing price. They're choosing line. Right. And our way of doing it by price is a really wacky. Right. Because we could get that price down. What are your suggestions? Oh, we definitely can. And there's proof that it works. The free market is what we need, and we don't have it in healthcare. If you look at, I had an elective procedure done uh, recently, and I am in healthcare. That I mean, this is what I do every day, and so I found the very best person in America to do it. And I flew there, and I paid ten thousand in cash, mm-hmm. and I got the. It was a surgery, mm-hmm. and the uh, from the very best person, and it was a non. And I didn't involve insurance in the transaction. 
And if you look at, this wasn't a cosmetic procedure, uh, but when you look at, say, LASIK and other and, and cosmetic procedures, mm-hmm. things that are within our healthcare system but don't that but happen outside of the insurance part of our system in terms of how they're paid for. Yeah, you see, competition has an effect. Cost goes down significantly. I mean, incredibly, and quality goes up mm-hmm. because of the free market forces are at work and consumers can consume. We have great consumers in this country. That's a very powerful thing and a, and a, and a good thing. And we're not using it in, in healthcare, what, in the way we pay for healthcare. And I'm totally in agreement. We have great healthcare. We're very silly about how we pay for it. You look at, there's so much evidence of that right now in our system. If you look at uh, a total knee replacement, you can go to a center of excellence and they're all around the country and get a total knee replacement. They're they're popping out a new knee every 30 minutes out of these operating rooms. And I can go down the street. I'm in California today. I can go down the street to Monterey, and there's one of the best facilities. Every 30 minutes, somebody's getting a new knee, uh, $19,000. Yeah, wow. And if you look at – and you can, and yet, if I look at a health plan somewhere, anywhere in the country, you can find that procedure getting billed at $140,000 right. by a far less qualified surgeon with a, with a high infection rate that has to bring them back in, redo the knee, all kinds of issues around it. And we've trained the consumer here to consume in terms of copay and deductibles and then hidden the real cost behind the insurance, right. which has allowed insurance companies, when there's no transparency, there is not good behavior. Right. And we've got this system where they can – uh, inflate price, inflate cost that they charge insured people. I mean, it's just, you can tell I'm talking faster because this is a p- very passionate topic for me. <laughs> you go, you go, I can call a hospital right now. Uh, I, I should do it on the call. You can call a hospital right now and say, what would you charge me cash for a CT scan? Right. And there's been some great articles about it. The LA Times did one not too long back. Then the average price they got when calling around the country was $287. And then when they said, what would you charge me if I pull out my fill-in-the-blank insurance card? Right. And the answer was $2,400. That's crazy. Yeah. Why? I mean, how is it possible uh, that you would I, – I was on the phone on a Zoom meeting with a CFO who re- runs a large health plan in, in their company a week back, and I was telling that very same story, and he interrupted me. He said, I just went through this. I asked them because I'm a CFO with a high-deductible health plan, and I – I know math and money. I asked them what they'd charge me cash, and they said 178 bucks. Hmm. And then they asked, and I asked them what they'd charge with insurance, and they said some north of 2,000. And asked me if I wanted to use my insurance. And he said, my response was like, "Are you crazy? Hell no! Yeah. I mean, so That's we've got this huge deductible. problem there, and how we pay for it, and right. we're not." The, the ACA is, has only made that worse. I mean, the, the medical loss ratio rule that was part of that law that was supposedly supposed to help rein in costs, right? Uh, which is its own whole podcast. But that told these insurers that you have to spend 85 cents of every dollar that you get that you bring in in premium. You have to spend that on a claim. Yeah. Well, the unintended consequence was that was that they of that was that they lost all incentive to control the cost of claims because they need their 15 cents to grow. Right. So claims have gone up. We look at um, deductibles are up 87% post-ACA. Premiums are up more than that. And insured Americans hold $85 billion in medical debt. Jeez. That's crazy. Insured Americans. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. You know, I had my first, I have five kids, 11, 
10, 7, 5, and 3. My first child, when I was earlier on in my career, I had insurance, and yet I made payments on my max out of pocket to the hospital. You know, a few hundred bucks a month. Right. Wow. <laughs> he was like two, yeah. and I paid him off. Well, my yeah. my situation, I was insured, and um, I think I think it still ran me almost ten grand for a two day yeah. stay in the hospital, and that's oh, yeah. after insurance, and not that, and that's, that's not right. counting everything I paid for all the tests they did afterwards and all that crap. Um, oh yeah, and all of it for something again that could have been fixed by diet. But um, the, I want to bring something up since we're talking about this. Um, Congressman Dan Crenshaw has a very interesting idea. He's a Republican out of Texas, and it's it's kind of a twist on something that I had proposed and a lot of others have proposed a while back, and that's having basically an unlimited HSA where I could put as much money tax free into my HSA as I wanted to every year. That's sort of saving for self insurance, so to speak. Yeah, And he has a little bit of a twist on that, and I think maybe a combination of these two ideas would be great, is if people who can afford to, uh, and I know the liberals are going to, well, what about those? Just hold on. Hear me out here. right? You know, For those who can afford to, an unlimited contribution tax-free to your HSA, it only has to be, any purchase you make out of it has to be health-related. So it could be a gym membership, it could be... Um, you know, it could be a primary care visit. It could be direct primary care or whatever you want to do, but it has to be health related. You can save mm-hmm. as much of that tax free as you want to for as long as you want to. And it never has a limit. Uh, and you can let biz- banks actually various different banks compete for the interest rates on it. So you could be like, you don't have to have your HSA through your employer. You could have it down here at the local, um, yeah. you know, whatever five star bank or whatever. You could just have that there, and it's an HSA, and it's tax free for everything you put in there, as long as whatever comes out is healthcare related. His twist on that is then, then you take and you take those who can't afford healthcare. And and everybody pays for everything out of this HSA. So it's your healthcare premium, it's everything, right? So if your if your company wants to subsidize your healthcare, which is a great thing, and we should tax incentivize that, then they put in a deposit every month into your HSA, and then you choose which healthcare you want, right? And for those who don't have means, we means test a uh, deposit into that account. Now, a lot of people are going to cry socialism here. That's not my point. We can decide, we can argue over what that means tested, how much we're going to pay in a social safety net, right? We can argue over that. But this is clearly going to be a more efficient use of our tax dollars than what's currently being doled out for basically Medicaid for all ideas. So then everybody chooses their own health care. They choose their own services. They choose all of that out of that HSA account, which as their income grows, right, they can put more into that and their subsidy will decrease because we means test it. Why can't we do something like that? Why can't Republicans and Democrats come together on a solution like that? Because what that does is it immediately takes the decision about healthcare things and puts it directly into the hands of the consumer. It puts competition in the insurance market. Which is where market. it needs to be. Yeah, it puts competition in the insurance market. It puts competition in the provider market. It puts competition and choice. That right there, why couldn't we do that? Well, we can. And what we've seen is that, in fact, there's a really interesting proposal out. Mark Cuban has his own idea for a health care plan. Perhaps that's an indication he might run for president someday. <laughs> uh, but, but he's got his own plan that he's put out. That is, he's not the first guy that's come up with it. I, there's been some, other, some very well-known econ- economists, I think Milton Friedman and another Harvard economist that had a similar idea. Uh, but we're not going to fix the cost of health care unless we look unless we get insurance less less involved right uh, and bring in transparency right this whole idea I mean what you've described would drive down cost because you would 
And we see that on a, in a small way when people do have an HSA, they ask, what's this going to cost? And they, and I've had many people that I've talked to on this very topic who were pretty good consumers of, of everything, including healthcare, even though they had health insurance, they had an HSA with a high deductible plan. So they were mindful of the dollars that they put in the HSA. They think about it differently. Right. They're now consuming with their own money. Whereas an insurance card is really like a credit card that you just never see the bill for. Right. And then you wonder, and then you complain every year when the premiums go up. Yeah. Uh, and in any case, I, these folks with an HSA that ask the facility, the hospital or wherever, uh, about the price and talk to them about it are surprised sometimes when that price just gets magically smaller with right. a little bit of discussion. Right. And we can do that. In fact, this idea of, um, Mark Cuban's is basically, it's called a 10 P plan where you 10% of your, you don't have to spend more than 10% of your income on healthcare. You go in and you, you get services, but you really go in as a cash payer to get these services, which mean the cost of the service is going to be a lot lower. And then you, uh, if you have a big event, you're paying 10% of your income, let's say, into this fund. And if you have a big event, a big heart event that costs $200,000 or something, uh, and you don't make $2 million a year, like most people, then the government is going to cover that and you're going to be paying back for right. some years. Right. Right. So it's kind of self-funding it. Right. Uh, which is, those are the plans that work the the most efficiently and from a cost standpoint at the employer level, at the group level, right. because they are accessing, they're able to go in and negotiate better pricing with the, with the providers, better pricing with the facilities. Uh, and they actually get, have visibility on what they're paying for services. It's really crazy that we've trained everyone to, uh, in this country, we've taken the best consumer and then we've taken all their power away. And you right. mentioned a minute ago, why can't we get that done? There's right. so much, it's, when every time it doesn't matter what party is Republican or Democrat, when they have all the ability to pass legislation to fix this, they don't, they don't. do it. Right. They don't. Yeah. And all the discussion politically around healthcare is about expanding coverage, right. subsidizing Medicaid. Right now we're talking about subsidizing Medicaid. We're looking at 12 states that haven't expanded Medicaid despite the and Medicaid is federal crap. funding. Yeah. And it's the worst coverage. Half the doctors don't take it. The line's going to be long. It's right. it's not good. And studies have shown it actually doesn't even improve the health of those who are on it versus those who don't have insurance. So there's some questions around. Not that I'm saying people should go uninsured. I'm not advocating for that. But uh, what I am saying is if all we ever talk about is uh, expanding coverage and the government paying the bill to the insurance companies instead of the consumer directly paying the bill. If all we're going to ever talk about is expanding access to coverage and we never end up talking about why the system is overcharging the insurer, right? then we're just sitting here continuing to feed this machine. There's a reason this, that these big health insurers stock prices are up two to 3000% each since the ACA kicked in. Yeah. They are the only clear winners in this last decade of healthcare. Yeah, I think we have we have a failure of both parties where and the insurance companies benefit from this failure. The mm -hmm. Republicans are afraid to get big business upset. So they don't yep. really they they go around saying we're going to pull the plug on ACA. We're going to we're going to get rid of Obamacare, but then when they actually have power, they don't. Um, yep. and then and then on the other hand, the De Democrats are so blinded by giving everything away for free that the HSAs are, just, or excuse me, the insurance companies are just whistling past the graveyard here, laughing at the fact that because no one, everyone knows we're never going to give healthcare completely for free, and that it's going to be really sucky care, and the Americans won't, 
the American people at the end of the day won't stand for that. So it's like this stalemate created by two parties that have a specific message that they send out to just their base and they never actually act on either one of them. And it leaves the consumer completely in the lurch. Well, and you have these, the the biggest and most powerful lobbies in the, in the world, in the free world are around this topic. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot of money pushing against any kind of change that will, that'll upset this apple cart. Right. And it's the, the way that it's inflating costs and really it's every American family is making less money right now despite wage increases because the increased payroll deduction to fund their health insurance has outpaced right. any wage increases by far. It's the biggest threat to that American family budget. It's the biggest threat to our economy. Uh, you look at the amount of waste we allow to happen in the cost of insulin as an example. It's yeah. a prime example of what what's wrong with how we pay for healthcare. When you look at Humalog, it's the, the most commonly prescribed insulin right now, fast-acting pens by Eli Lilly, $550 a month Jeez. is what we're going to bill your health plan for you to be on that. And a lot of people need it, tying back into our conversation about lifestyle choices and so on. Right. A lot of people need it. And that $550, when you look at our supply chain that delivers that to that American consumer, you've got a manufacturer, Eli Lilly, you got a wholesaler, and then you have a pharmacy. And that American customer walks into the pharmacy, picks up their insulin, $550 gets billed to the health plan. Only 220 of that 550 is supporting the supply chain. Wow. So the manufacturer, the wholesaler, and the retailer split 220 and are profitable doing so. And then you've got uh, the pharmacy benefit managers, which is just in our system, another word for the waste that's attached to this, right. essentially, $330. Jeez. So 60% of the cost that our system is paying for insulin for, you know, for many millions of Americans is waste, essentially. I mean, wow. mostly waste. That's insane. Um, and it's ballooned over the years. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, and, it, and at the end of the day, consumers uh, are the ones that are actually suffering from this. And yet there's innovative ideas out there that could, could bring an end to this. Um, let me just bring it back as we wrap up to uh, the topic we were originally on, the vaccine. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I want to make it very clear I'm not anti-vaccine. Um, even this this blood clot thing is just it's a tiny little risk. Um, and I doubt that it's going to affect very many people. But that being said, this is exactly why I completely disagree with vaccine passports and this idea that mm-hmm. you could force people, even through public peer pressure, because the government can't necessarily do it, but through public peer pressure and through businesses forcing their employees and so on and so forth. There's a bunch of colleges that are forcing the students to take the vaccine. Right. I, I think that is an egregious violation of people's rights um, because I one of the things that defines liberty is that I have a right to choose what level of risk I'm willing to take. That's yep. what freedom is. And even if I'm being paranoid, even if I'm being silly, even if I'm being, you know, uninformed, I have a right to those things. And so the the thing that scares me the most about this entire process, and I, and I honestly think it's part of what's driving the fear of compliance is mm-hmm. the fear of forced compliance. In other words, I right. think you would, yeah, I think you'd get a lot more voluntary compliance to the vaccine if you would just stop threatening people that were going to force you to take it because that, right. that that's what drives people down the rabbit hole 
um, to maybe fake news, to false news, to mis- misinterpreted news, and so on and so forth, and drives up that reticence to take it. So um, I've jokingly said I'm holding off. I am. That's me personally, although I have recommended to my dad that he needs to take it, risk versus reward. But that's a choice, and I want everybody to be able to make that choice. Yeah, I think that's an important part of who we are as Americans, and we're victims of bad messaging. Some of the very people that are on the TV right now getting a shot in their arm telling other people to do it, not too many months back, you know, six months ago, were saying they wouldn't do it because it was being rushed and wouldn't be safe. And it was from Trump. And, <laughs> yeah, you know. Orange and, man. Evil, evil guy. Yeah. And so, you know, that, and that to me is a big lesson we can take away from this whole experience. It's yeah. interesting to me to look. I was in the military. I was a Russian intelligence analyst. And I was in during uh, at 9-11. And I stayed in longer because I felt patriotic and uh, the, and, and everyone did, you know, we were very unified as a country facing a, a big thing. And I look at this pandemic and it, it seems to me, I'm not a historian, but it seems to me it's one of the first times where we've gone through something so big and it really hasn't drawn people together. Right. You know, it's, it's really weird. And, we, and there's been all this highly politicized messaging that's not helped. Uh, and, and then, People say follow the science, but they're not really. I mean, they, they, there's so many agendas out there. I think we're we're very untrustworthy because we're not getting just the facts. Yeah. And we all have a smartphone, so yeah. it's not hard for us to go in there and say, hey, it's like buying a car now. You just yeah. look on your smartphone and say the fair price is $32,000. i will pay you 32000 Do yeah. we have to sit here all the day and haggle on this? And it's like the same thing with this whole experience. Just give us the facts. Right. right. I mean, we don't need all this confusion. And like in our office – we had one, it, it went through our office, so all the people basically were exposed or had it. Yeah. And um, all my kids, all five kids, got it, and they were they would get a fever for about four hours and take a nap, and they'd be better. <laughs> and I didn't have any symptoms, and my wife didn't have any symptoms. So I'm following the science. I don't really have to rush out. Let's get some of the people who haven't had it. Let them get the vaccine right. first. Right. So we can get to herd immunity quicker because I understand how we get there. Right. I don't need to do it just because you're telling me to when the science says I have immunity. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's, and I think that's a logical way to do it. I would rather uh, an elderly person or a poor person or somebody who doesn't have access to health care right now, whatever, exactly. get that before I get it because I am healthy. I probably had it, probably didn't even know I had it. And I'd rather yeah. somebody else get to the front of the line. Listen, Paul Seeger, it's always good to talk to you. Um, and I, I hope you'll come back again as well. But I, I feel like this has been a good conversation, not just about the vaccine. Hopefully it'll lay some people's fears, too. Again, I, I fully support your ability to make your own choice. I think this is a perfect example of why, even though it's a minuscule risk, it's still a risk. People have the right to make that decision. Um, but that being said, um, I think we probably got a lot more uh, valuable conversation on the healthcare side of things too. So good having you on again. Thanks for having me. I enjoyed it. All right. Yeah. So fascinating conversation. Uh, hope you got something out of that. Let's start bothering our representatives about this plan because I don't understand why we can't have our own HSA that maybe our comp- our company subsidizes if they if they want to give us a healthcare benefit and then we pay our premiums out of that we pay for all of our stuff out of that it's all tax free you can put as much in there as you want and uh, and then it puts it immediately puts the decisions about healthcare right back into your hands takes it out of the insurance's hands and it sort of corrects the market so to speak I don't know why we can't do that anyway. Thanks to our our sponsor today, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. They are so awesome. I love Tim Montgomery and his crew. 
I love their work ethic. They've been serving the greater Louisville area for 25 years. Now, whether you're in southern Indiana, Louisville, Oldham County, they got you covered here. Um, I've been a customer of theirs twice. I went back. They did our kitchen. We were super happy. We went back, said, here, do our master bathroom. Uh, working with their designers is easy peasy. Michelle, Kelly, Paul, uh, George, rather, Michelle, Kelly, George, they're all standing by waiting to talk to you about your dream kitchen. So go by their showroom at 6200 Hit Lane or call them at 502-930-3304. Please tell them you heard about it on the Disruption Zone. Uh, if you're looking for a turnkey remodel where you just walk in, talk to the designer, they put together a plan, and then you just let them come do all the work, they got you covered. If you're a contractor who knows what you want and what you need and what the layout is. They've got cabinets, high-quality cabinets in stock that are affordable, ready to go. Or do-it-yourselfer, right? Either way, they've got you covered. Laminate countertops, quartz countertops, custom work, um, f- uh, whatever type of solid surface you want, islands, b- taking out walls, redoing plumbing. They got, you, they got you covered. They can do it all. It's 502-930-3304, LouisvilleCabinetsAndCountertops.com. Big thanks to JP Web Design, Dynamics Audio Productions for their help with this program. To my good-for-nothing, almost-never-here, lazy co-executive producer and co-executive host, uh, Cameron Mills, and uh, to you for the thousands of downloads we continue to get each week. It's blowing my mind. I love it. Thank you for spreading the message. Please give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Google Play. You can uh, subscribe for free on there. Share it with your friends on there. Also, iHeartRadio app. We are there uh, and continue to just crank out these episodes. So thank you so much for your support. You can find me on Twitter. It's at Leland Show and at Zone Disruption. And also on uh, Instagram, at Great Lee Londo and at The Disruption Zone. Thanks for listening to The Disruption Zone. I'm Leland Conway.